Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Again. And welcome. We've been chatting offline while we've been planning this. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and the we, of course, is the great Don Sam Alden. Hello, Don. The we being the both of us, not just me. I, of course not. Yeah. I was talking about the royal we. I, and, I, I don't quite maybe. use the royal we yet, but you know. You're getting once, once we finish talking about matriarchy, maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's time. It's the big reveal. <laughs> it's, you know, we're talking about this and I, I, you know, for the listener, what we're talking, what we plan to talk about is what is matriarchy and what we Yeah, think. we wanted to, we wanted to just have a little discussion between the two of us because, you know, the, 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 um, the byline of this podcast is make matriarchy great again. So what do we mean when we say matriarchy? Because there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of different definitions of what that means, some of which are, you know, more historically accurate, and others of which are um, just wild, paranoid fantasies. So we wanted to just, you know, chat about it a little bit. But Sean, you were saying. I was just saying I have trouble even talking about it at all. It's like, uh, uh, you know, I said to you, I, I always have this dream that any kind of creative thing that I'm involved in with this free-flowing uh, beat poet, jazz-styled thing that comes out into something beautiful and natural and usually just comes out really stunted and, like, just kind of uninteresting. So I was thinking, okay, everyone start talking about this. Let's just make this a really natural conversation. Hopefully it won't bore people to tears, but it's just, there's something that happens particularly about this topic where I'm like, I don't know what to say. So let's start with this. Let me ask you, let's start with okay. you. So the listeners will have something coherent to follow along with. What do you, what is matriarchy for you? And, and for me, why, why is it something that you'd like to see come about or would you? I would. Absolutely. Um, well, as the child of an engineer and a German, I like my definitions clear, concise, and uh, preferably as scientific as possible. That sounds like the setup for a sitcom. <laughs> child of an engineer and a German. She was, she was created for one task, and that task was complete destruction of the enemy. Quite the opposite, quite the yeah, opposite. Yeah. But um, but so when I discovered Heideggerna Abendroth's work on sort of uh, researching and and to a certain extent codifying um, what we know about actual matriarchy um, in the human past and in the human present. Um, I latched onto it because to me, being able to tell people what I mean when I say matriarchy with four bullet points and little, you know, mini explanations um, is perfect. It's perfect. It's just what I've been looking for. Well, let me ask you, do you, you tell people, I mean, we talk about it, obviously, and I know you've got, you know, some different things going on, collectives that you're creating around these kind of matriarchal ideas but let's say just you're down at the supermarket you're hanging out at a you're hanging out at a party i mean do you bring up this kind of stuff i do i do okay so like you're just you're you're out with friends let's say you're having dinner Mm -hmm. and you bring up the fact that you believe in matriarchy Uh, okay and this is a mixed company men and women oh of course of course okay now i'm just curious again because i've told you my experiences talking to other guys yeah yeah. And it's like a freak out moment for them. So, yeah. So tell me what happens. What? Okay. Cause there's your four so, points. You know, people will say, 
well, what have you been up to during the pandemic? And I'll say, you know, like everyone else in the world, I started a podcast. And uh, they say, oh, what's your podcast about? And I say, our podcast is about making matriarchy great again. And they laugh. <laughs> and they say, well, what is exactly does that mean? And I say, well... Heidegger Abendroth identifies the deep structure structure of matriarchies using four markers: economic, social, political, and cultural. So the first marker, economic, means that matriarchal societies are usually agricultural and achieve relative economic equality through gift giving as a social custom. So the economic structure of a matriarchy is egalitarian you'll you know we'll be saying that word i'll be saying that word a lot egalitarian um bing! and um and that means that you know there isn't an accumulation of wealth in whatever form that wealth may take at the expense of those who have less so goods and um things that people need uh, goods and, and um, life-sustaining things. So like food and water and, and shelter and clothing and things like that. They flow from those who have to those who need. And that does not necessarily mean two distinct groups of people because at some times you can be on one end of that equation and at other times you're on the other end. And that is the understanding that we all take care of each other, and we are all taken care of. Okay, so that, that's your first one. Why don't we... That's our economic one. Let's, I, let's, go, let's go through all four, obviously, and because I, I yeah. do want to circle back to just what happens to you in real life about this. So. Right, and I have, yeah, and we'll, we can dive deeper into each individual one because I have examples of things that, that sort of show these principles in life today that we don't necessarily look at and say, oh, that's matriarchy. But it oh, is. No, I, I was actually just more interested in what happens when you start telling people and you're yeah. out at dinner and you start telling them this stuff. Like well, that's, that's, you know. I mean, that's, I'm, curious, I mean, I'm really yeah. genuinely curious about that. Because yeah. when I told you, just so the listener knows, I, I told Donna, I told a friend of mine about this. And we're just, I mean, my thing is I, we're just a bunch of guys and, well, I'm guys and gals I hang out with, but. It's not like I'm hanging around people who spend their time on political theory. We're just mm -hmm. out doing stuff. And I told one guy about the matriarchy thing, and his whole fear was that women were going to go storming across the earth. So we'll put right. that aside. Right. Anyway, right. so you well, we'll get to that. your first one. Okay. We'll get to that. So, yeah, so economic and, you know, when people say, well, what does that really mean? I say, well, here are some examples of that in practice today. Buy nothing groups. They are huge on Facebook, and um, they're certainly huge in in uh, in my area of LA. But things like Free Cycle is another uh, group, and Craigslist Free. But organizations through the internet that allow people to give away things that they have to people who need that thing that they have. So I have an extra, you know clothes drying rack that is just gathering dust in my house so I put it up on one of these groups and someone says oh I've been needing a clothes drying rack and they come and they pick it up from me and boom gift economy okay let me then jump in because I want mm -hmm. to ask okay Good. so most of these most of these groups are these men or women both okay I'm just I mean I, yeah. I'm curious because what do they take it? So a buy nothing group is is what it is, right? It's just your people going to give, right. give something away. You you see that as part of matriarchy. The group itself, I I'm, let me ask you: Does the group itself consider this a matriarchal concept, or is it just we just believe in giving stuff to each other and gifting people and helping? It's more I think people uh, people sign on to the buy nothing group for a variety of different reasons that are individual to them. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people that are uh, zero waste type of folks who sign okay. on to the buy nothing groups, which is, you know, again, also a matriarchal principle 
because it has to do with taking care of the earth, our mother. Um, but, uh, but, you know, they may not, they may not say, oh, good, buy nothing groups or free cycle. That's matriarchy. I want to support that. But these are, these are examples of matriarchal principles that are, that are here as part of our society now. And I use them as examples because I want people to see that matriarchy is not some far away, distant theoretical thing or not some violent, you know, radical overthrow that's going to have to take place, but that the transition to a matriarchal society is not that foreign. We're already in, you know, parts of our society are already following that model. So, you know, we're already halfway there is what I'm I'm trying to convey. Oh, no, I I get you. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in with you a little bit for this too, just because I'm, I'm, I think it's helping me because like I was saying in the beginning, it's like, I don't formulating the concept of what is drawing me to this and why I'm doing this. Uh, typically I have, I develop and think about ideas and then, you know, follow through and have some sort of broader notion, but this is a matriarch is a little bit different. So when I hear you talk about this stuff, the gift economy, this kind of, that they're out there, mm-hmm. I think about one of the first conversations we have with Vicky where we, I don't even know if it was on air, but we just kind of talked about um, the idea that there was some other form of structure of society prior to the one we exist in now, this kind of very patriarchal Western Indo-European structure, right? Right. And so the idea and where I'm going with this and where I'm going with my question for you is that if you typically, when you say something like this to someone, in our culture, the I, the response is, look, you're kind of being a dreamer, okay? You're being a dreamer. Human beings, human society is this way and has always been this way. It is a society of, you know, uh, capitalist uh, achievement and drive and ambition. That's what makes us what we are. Uh, just like when, you know, talking to Vicky, you know, culture is about warfare and aggression and how do you fence things off? And it's always been that way. And you're just a dreamer to think it's some way else. Of course, we know from what Vicky uh, has talked about and all the things we've seen from Maria Gambutas, there were other ways. But I'm mm-hmm. just throwing this at you. That's what I hear. I, that's the first thing that comes to mind when you start talking about that. I think, okay, that's great. So there's some groups in Burbank and, you know, the Valley and Glendale and wherever that may do this. But how widespread, how realistic do you think it is? And I'm more playing devil's advocate, you know, but what what do you say to that? Like, oh, okay, Sean. great, there's some groups and blah, 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 but yeah. how would that become a social structure? Well, first of all, I say, Sean, the devil doesn't need more advocates. <laughs> the devil doesn't need anything other than our sympathy, as Mick Jagger would say. No, As I'm, Mick Jagger would say, absolutely. And then I, I say... Yeah. And then I say, well, when I rule the world, things will be different. Uh, well, we know this. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, I do I do think it is. I mean, this is one of the things that I'm wrestling with. I think maybe it's why we go, you know, why I'm having trouble kind of formulating some of the, the statements about this. Is, yeah. is this issue that I'm asking you about? Because I do hear it and I go, okay, those things are great. And I like those ideas. How would you make those, if I'm at a dinner party with you, I'd say, how would you make that an American structure, American behavior pattern? Or would you? Or do you think it's even important to do that? Is that, am I asking the wrong question, maybe? Um, I, I think I think you are asking a question that I am not, you're thinking about it in a different way than I'm thinking about sure, it. Sure, sure. Okay, let's talk but about it. But I will say that, I will say this. Um, this is part of the reason why I talk about, you know, way, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not structures, but uh, systems, mm-hmm. systems where matriarchy, the principles of matriarchy are already in practice in our society. This Got is it. why I bring up these examples, because it. it gives people something to say, oh, oh, yeah, I get how that works. And I get how that's cool. So, yeah, I can see how you know, adopting that on a regular basis would be, wouldn't, it wouldn't, 
disrupt the things we hold dear. Okay. And yet it would encourage bringing about the kind of world that I think more people would want to live in. Okay. All right. But also it's not, it's not like, that's the thing. Matriarchy is not that foreign a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of prioritizing slightly different things that are already in our life. I mean, one of the things that Heidegger Abendroth um, emphasizes is that the thing about a matriarchy is that it is it's it's not just a different social structure with women with a group of women in the center of a web, which is a different social structure than the patriarchal hierarchy that we have. Sure. But it's that the principles of the mother become valued in the society. So that's a great great way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. Care, love, um, forgiveness, acceptance, generosity, um, a certain amount of altruism. Like these are principles that we associate with motherhood. The love of a mother to their child, um, you know, ideally is is unconditional. Um, that you I, know, I, I there's think a that... wonderful, yeah, there's a wonderful saying um, in the pagan community about the goddess, and that is that she is mother of all or mother of none. So yeah. everyone is a child of the goddess. Right? Who was it that said there are only two types of people in the world? Mothers and their children. That's a great... I don't know who that was, but I'll take credit for it. Um, <laughs> of course you will. Um, um, okay. But no, this... I think that... Okay, so now that is a really... And I want to... I don't, I don't want to step on you getting all four of your the, the principles out, but I do want to say that that is... That, for me, that's the, the guiding principle of the mother becomes a very helpful construct to just in terms of seeing it. Because the one thing that resonates with me when we talk about matriarchy and when you've asked me, when we talk just off there all the time, is the idea of collective, cooperative decision making, consensus building. Yes. So for me, that's probably the single central thing about what someone would say, what would I see in matriarchal concepts and leadership that I really, it really resonates with me. And I'd like to see put it, put into practice just in my own creative experiences. Because for me, like you say, that's not a foreign concept. It's this idea that that is, that's the artistic collective that I've always loved Mm. is a matriarchal structure. The artistic collective is everybody in consensus working together to create something, produce something. Rather than from a top-down, right, yeah, kind of thing. So anyway, yeah. so so you have the economic principles first. What so else? yes, so uh, examples of economic principles that are in practice: um, soup kitchens, food banks, um, rent parties, uh, CSAs, and community farms, where people pay ahead of time for the vegetables that they're going to eat. Um, and then yeah, a lot of uh, uh, potlatch, potluck, clothing swaps, holiday cookie swaps, baby showers, bridal and engagement showers is is you know a, a, is definitely like this an echo of this matriarchal principle where someone's going to have a baby, someone's going to start a new home, so everyone that they know gets together and gives them gifts to help make that happen. Um, new neighbor gifts. Uh, it, you know, I, I don't know about where you grew up uh, in New York, but locally for me in um, the great state of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, when a new neighbor moved in, it was traditional to bring them some food and, um, and a basket that included bread, salt, and wine. Yeah, so no, that, yeah. maybe not that specific, but there was always right. something where you would think somebody new is coming, you always go over and you greet them and you say hi and you bring yeah, them. Yeah, bring them a casserole, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
exactly. So all of these, all of these things are examples of that um, economic principle of those who have the, that goods flow from those who have to those who need um, without economic exchange. It's not an exchange. It's a one way flow. I have this, you need it. I give it to you. That's the end of the, that's the end of the transaction. It's a one way thing. Um, and, uh, they talk a lot about, um, Genevieve Vaughn and the, uh, investigating the idea of the gift economy talks a lot about, and, and Vicky talks about this as well. It's a maternal gift economy. So there are gift economies that function as an exchange of goods. Like I give you something as a way to indebt you to me so that you then have to give me something. This is the maternal gift economy where like the mother giving the gift of life to a child the gift is given with no expectation of anything in return, right? Like when a so mother nothing nurses like Hollywood, nothing like Hollywood, nothing like Hollywood. Exactly. When a mother nurses her child and gives that child life sustaining food, the mother isn't like, you know, tallying up the ounces of breast milk that she's giving to this child so that in the future, the child will pay her back for that. You know, it is, it is a one way gift. I'm trying to picture how this works on a film set. All right. Uh, so, um, so no. number two, the second yeah, principle. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to the second principle, which is social. That the societies themselves, <laughs> I love this film. The societies themselves are egalitarian with land being held in the maternal clan and um, both men and women remain in their maternal clan. It's matrilinear and matrilocal. So those are two sort of slightly different concepts. The idea that the societies are egalitarian goes back to economic, but it's also mm -hmm. social. So the understanding that no one person is worth more than any other person in the society. Right. You know, just the first in the first two concepts, I mean, you're you're talking about stuff that I think is very, very, very appealing to most. There's definitely a resonance that we feel in culture and society, particularly in what we'll call a free culture. Right. What we'd like to think of ourselves as a freedom loving people. That is a very big thing on both left and right in uh, in America, that, yeah, that everyone People should the have the same chance. Yes, right. I mean, yeah. everyone's listening around. That we have listeners all around the world. It's, I'm sure, it's the same in your countries as well. But it's this this idea. But what's interesting about you saying this is that you are approaching it in a way. When we talk about freedom, sometimes we hear here in the states. When we talk about freedom, people are asserting their own individual independence over, and I'm using that phrase specifically, something else. Mm -hmm. Whereas you are talking about no one is more important. We're all equally important. We're all sharing. It's more of about a shared freedom than a singular freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to the idea in community organizing. Um, community organizing is built on power with rather than power over. And I think it's a similar... Right idea in these societies is that it's freedom with rather than freedom over right that if we are all if we're all worth the same amount then i don't have to fight you to get what i feel i deserve and you're not going to take things away from me because you think you deserve them and i don't it's that is a. I mean, I, I find that's the central issue. Uh, people will argue that uh, it's, it can sound simplistic that it's the central issue of civilization, this conflict. But that's kind of what we're trying to show that it is not innate to it. So this right, idea, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, there was another way. There is another way. It is possible. I think that's what I always come back to with this: is the idea that um, some will say. This is an idealized 
unrealistic version of things, but we'll come back around to that. Just yeah, yeah. go, you finish off on the so social, you know, uh, uh, organizations um, that are socially egalitarian um, tend to be things like meetup groups, Facebook groups, people who meet for a specific reason, but who are not otherwise grouped. So, you know, um, play dates for children and pets. I'm not related to you, but I I com I form a community with you um, about something that we both share, which is a love for our dogs to run in the dog park. You know, um, PTA groups, parent teacher associations that work together to make a better life for their child. Um, uh, uh, AA, NA, OA, groups like that, therapy groups, where it's a community group of people who are all brought there by a similar reason that they are trying to, you know, they're trying to be in community that supports them to get over their addiction. It's so not a hierarchical system where one person is saying, stop drinking. Mm -hmm. It's a group of people saying, I need you to help me, and in return, I help you. So like the economic ones, you're uh, pointing out where we already have this stuff. Exactly, exactly. Now, this, the, the part of social that we don't, we don't tend to see as much in our single-family unit society is this idea of the matrilocal clan or the matrilineal clan, um, which is that rather than being the father as the head of the family, it's the mother as the head of the family. And rather than women going to the man's father when they get married, the men move to the women's family when they get married. So yeah. a modern day example of this would be, actually a friend of mine recently did this, is that they decided that they all wanted to live near each other. The family did. And so it was the mother and all of the daughters, and they all moved to Houston together and lived, you know, bought um, property that was within a mile of each other so that they could all be matrilocal, essentially. Say more about this. This is, this is, interesting. This is interesting. So, okay, this is just someone you know. Mm -hmm. When you say the, the family, how will, I, and, and I'm asking this for a reason. Mm -hmm. So the, it's a mother, and are these adult daughters? These are adult daughters, in some cases mothers in their own right. And they all agree, the mother and the adult daughters mm -hmm. agreed, hey, let's all move to Houston. Did the, were the adult daughters in relationships with, okay, and Married. their partners were like, okay, and that's totally fine. Yep. Their partners went with them, yep. Uh, okay, I mean... There's another example of this that is that is less family oriented and more social, but I've seen a lot of articles lately about older women who, when they retire, they all want to retire. They all want to like buy a house together or buy a group of small houses that are around each other. So lifelong friends retire together and form this this, you know, uh, society of older women. And, you know, some of them have husbands, yes, and adult children. The adult children have gone off and, you know, lived their own lives. Um, but these women who have been friends all their lives decide that they want to spend their last years in each other's company, as opposed to, you know, living with their son in a, you know, in a, a, a coach house on the property or something like that, mm. or uh, going to a, you know, an, a retirement facility where they don't know anyone. I'll definitely want to ask you more about the, the family one, because uh, I don't want to belabor the point for the listeners, but I just, I'm, I'm really curious about it. I'm really curious about how, who they are, how it worked and all that good stuff. Okay. So that's a very interesting concept. When we talk about matrilineal, a lot of times in those, in the ancient forms and the tribal forms, it's, it's mother, but it's also mother's brothers as well. So the that well, kind of the yeah, the mother's brothers yeah. are there unless they go, you know, unless they get so married. In which mother, case, yeah. they go to their wife's mother, 
Right. Right. Um, it's just it's an I, because from um, from the standpoint of uh, you know when I talk to men and uh, as a, you know from a male standpoint, so like the idea of okay, well, how do men fit in this? Because it is important to to, to point that out because again, yeah. the fears that are around this is like what I said when I tell my buddy about this and he's convinced that you know this will unleash a tyranny of woman mm-hmm. across the earth and how I just need to be really quiet about all this stuff. That's why I want to bring up what this, you know. Well, the other thing, yeah, the other thing that's part of this, and this is, you know, this is like advanced matriarchy. Right now, we're we're talking about beginner matriarchy because I, you know, we we need to start small and build, right? Matriarchy for kids. We'll have cartoons and comic mm-hmm. books. It'll mm-hmm. be great. That's right, and then we'll we'll graduate to matriarchy for young adults, and then eventually adult matriarchy. But um, what? Yeah, like like the Twilight novels. It'll we'll have the matriarchy Twilight novels. It'll be really good. (laughs) Oh my god! But um, one of the things that uh, that is an aspect of these matrilocal matrilineal um, uh, clans, and and you know it's not universal, but one of the things that we tend to see is that. Um, in situations where there aren't marriages, right, where relationships are more fluid because the actual family unit is that matrilineal, matrilocal clan. So that means a dude, you know, who wants to have a relationship with one of these women, he can come and go. So he can come and live in the mother's house and, and have, you know, uh, an intimate relationship with one of the daughters. If he gets her pregnant, she stays in the house and has and raises the children in the mother house. But he can leave at any time. He can either stay and help her raise his children, or he can, you know, fuck right off and go somewhere else. Because now, I, I, it sounds like you're um, you're pitching this as a as a um, as an option for the fellas. I would like to believe in my old-fashioned way that he would not, would happily stay there and raise the child with her. I would. I would. And hope. and, and help, the you know, the odds are with you because um, surveys show that at this time in our history, actually men are more interested in marrying, settling down, and having a family than single women are. So the odds are with you. But still, yeah. in terms of the guy that is afraid that he's going to be sucked into some sort of, you know, oppressive, woman-heavy society, no. If he wants to be a playa, then uh, uh, actually a matrilocal, matrilineal society is um, is a better chance for him to do so. There is something in this. I don't know what kind of sketch or skit I can write around this. <laughs> Right. Well, so got, you write it, we'll film it. <laughs> so we've got an egalitarian structure. We've got this. I mean, this structure you're talking about, you see a lot of examples of it when you look in the ancient world. It's a lot of the arguments that people like um, Maria Gambutas and our own Vicky Noble make about the early patterns of matriarchy in our world. Yeah. So it is interesting yeah. to see. Of course, we're told that we're all seeing, we're all just deluding ourselves. This is all an illusion of what we see in the ancient world. When we yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, as, as the old saying goes, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? If we can, um, if we can put a black mark and, and put into doubt any opportunity of of someone to say look a different system exists a different system has worked throughout time if we can erase that um then it's less likely that people will rise up in protest against the system that we have so yeah i mean it's definitely politically expedient for for um historians who like the status quo um, to say no, no, no. That's just fantasy. That's just fantasy. Well, you know, it's it's a pattern. I mean, I've I've said this to you, I'm sure, many times when we talk about this stuff. It's like there is a pattern in the West of not only conquer but destroy and eliminate. And yeah. it's like it's again, Carthage must be Carthage must be destroyed. What did the Romans do? They just crushed it and salted it under. 
The mm -hmm. Aztec writings were burned. It's like you go through all these patterns of civilization, the conquering civilization always not only conquers, but destroys the record. It seems to be a pattern, particularly in the West, of we of making it seem as if there can be no other way, which is why we're having, it's probably, you know, when we think about it, you and I having this conversation, it's the reason why we're having it. Because as Vicky always points out, and as American Buddhist points out, as I'm sure many of the other matriarchal women point out, matriarchy was the norm for longer than patriarchy has been the norm. Yes, yeah. So. Yeah, and it was a peaceful existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, no we, we know that's a dream, right, Dawn? <laughs> it's a dream I'm holding on to, Sean. Indeed. All right, yeah. so we've got All the right, two, so point the number three. Okay. Right, great. right, point number three, political. There we go. I was waiting for it, and you did not disappoint. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's where's the applause, the light applause. Oh, that's what happens. This there time. you go. There it you go. Stop. It doesn't um, stop on. <laughs> you love your toys. Forever. You love your, your auditory toys. Yes. Anyway, go on. Um, so these societies are egalitarian in a political structure and have well-developed democratic systems of consensus. So the decision-making political system is one of consensus. And I remember, oh, God, it was uh, this wonderful podcast by a Navajo woman who was talking about how when the traders would come to the Navajo tribes, like a new trader would want to do business with the tribe, um, that, uh, you know, that they would have, they would not be prepared for the process. So like the trader would come to the tribe and everyone in the tribe would sit down and they would be there for as long as it took to make a consensus decision. It wasn't like the trader could come to the chief of the tribe and, and strike a deal, just the two of them. It was everyone in the, everyone in the clan sat down and debated whether or not they wanted to do business with this trader. And it took days, if necessary, to make the decision. Um, so this is, the thing about consensus is it's not, it's not a quick way to do business. That's going to be, uh, again, uh, when we talk about the arguments, and I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, we know the these arguments are out there, but I, I, I want to point them out because if we're going to make a difference and make a change, we have to be, I believe we have to be aware of what your, what the people who are countering you, I don't want to call them our enemies or opponents, but people who will, the counter arguments are going to say, and that's one of the things, I mean, look, we have this efficient world economy. Um, I will dare say for a small percentage of the world, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, we have this efficient world economy, quote unquote, and it's done because we've got these powerful captains of industry, Dawn, who make sure quick, fast, smart, and strong decisions are done. Wouldn't you agree that that's the better way of doing it? These just great titans who... <laughs> who know what's good for they all of us. For they know everyone, better than we do what is good for us. Yeah. Um, how, so I would say, how has that worked out for you? <laughs> I, isn't it great for everybody? Aren't we living our best lives and sharing in the fruits? I mean, just look at the 2020 pandemic. It really was the average person who made out well, not the billionaire, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, so right there, um, that, that lovely, finely tuned tool of sarcasm that you have has pointed out that... The people on top become increasingly disconnected from what it is that um, the people at the bottom actually go through and actually need. Um, you know, we have ideal leaders, and I don't mean popular leaders, I mean ideal leaders are the ones who listen to the entire system, right? I mean, that's why the consulting business in this society is so strong and so um, lucrative because consultants come in and supposedly they talk to everybody in the organization and they are able to point out to the leadership what the leadership 
has no idea about, and that is what everybody wants, what would work best for everyone, right? So, well, yes, exactly. I, yeah. I find interesting, I don't, you know, you and I both know it doesn't always work the way it should, but that is right. the idea, and that's a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're spending lots of money to, um, to try to recapture an aspect of a healthy, you name it, government, corporation, um, community group, whatever, when really if we just took a little bit more time and listened to people and had a conversation with people and spoke in community, then those things would become blatantly obvious to us. And we would be able to make decisions that would better serve everyone in the long run. And, you know, this what is it? My number one, I actually, this, this yeah. is my number yeah. interest. Buy-in. Buy-in is a huge thing in business too, right? Like you have to, you want to get buy-in from all of your various constituencies, whether it be your employees, your customers, blah, blah. If you have a consensus-based decision-making, by the time the consensus is reached, that guarantees that everyone has bought into the new structure or the decision that is made because nobody leaves until everyone has bought in. It's really interesting because I, this concept natively appeals to me one of a better term, meaning that I've always felt that it's a very powerful concept. Let me let me convey it on maybe three different levels of okay. why I think this is a great way to work. One is on a personal level, you know, I've talked about in dealing with people in business, working in large companies, right? You know, this is until, until we live our dream of making all of our great matriarchal action films, right now we have to make a living. Mm-hmm. So you will work at times in different different circumstances. And I have mentioned to you the sense that I got in the last at least decade or half decade for sure of just the great man of the universe mindset of the guy who comes in or the company that is now new. And the way people conduct themselves is to to convey to you that they are just the smartest people on earth and we should all just do what they say. Yeah. And uh, there are some people who might think, well, that maybe that makes sense. But I don't think that that is the most efficient way to get things done, because to use a second example of why is you see this in sports a lot. You want your team, you want your players to, like you say, buy into your system. When they buy into your system, the team plays better. We see this right. all the time. So it would be no different in a business. And also, it's just, I guess, it personally. I don't want to work around people with those attitudes. I don't enjoy those attitudes. I don't like that kind of person. So on a personal level, that consensus thing is great. But then finally, on a political level, the third thing is when you look, you know, we were, you know, talking about the pandemic and how people did not make out well from it. And it made me think about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And one thing he did, the reason we have the system we have in this country came out of the Depression all of these great titans are benefiting from a system we created for everybody. They don't realize that because they think they did it all on their own. But Roosevelt said to the wealthy at that time, the consensus of the people is important because if you don't pay attention to it, they're going to over, they're going to go crazy and overthrow you. You're going to lose everything. So right. he convinced them that they needed to have a, 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 a social safety net, a social welfare net. And that is, I think, a very matriarchal notion of caring for everyone, making sure that you don't, that the least of your society is as important as anybody else. And I say least in quotes, meaning those people who don't have as much as the, as the wealthy. So right. you built that consensus. So I think this is a really, I think this could be a powerful way to bring matriarchy about in a lot of different countries. Well, some of, I mean, some of the the current really powerful um, and, and previous really powerful community organizing groups um, are, are consensus-led. Um, right, uh, you've, you've said that about a lot of the actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have, you know, I have, um, I have real-world examples, of course. So the Dutch Polter 
model, P-O-L-T-E-R, Porto model. Um, their, many of the decisions of their government are based on consensus. So like, for instance, the uh, recent um, uh, racial tensions that they had in their, in their country about Schwarzapiet, which mm-hmm. is um, a Christmas tradition in their country from centuries ago, but it is arguably extremely racist. Uh, yeah, and, it's pretty. It's a pretty strong argument, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make, but, just so for the listener, I mean, I, there are probably listeners in Holland, but there and, and nearby. But that is a. It's a particular Christmas character who, uh, like for here in America, Santa has his elves. The uh, Santa Claus is that the right word for mm-hmm, Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. Santa Claus has these essentially black workers, and I'm just going to leave it at it's that. It's just one. It's just one. Oh, no, there's one yeah. There's one. Yeah. So he has a black yeah. worker who, uh, yeah. You yeah, can, who, you is, can who is not, um, who is not. Uh, a beloved employee. <laughs> He's not a character known for his intelligence and, um and good intentions. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, so there was a huge, yeah, there was a huge um, decision, and it's still going on in the country about whether or not Schwarze Piet should be, um, you know, should be considered uh, anti, it should be considered racist, and should be stopped in terms of any official recognition of the character. And um, and because it is a consensus based decision. It is taking years for anything to happen. Um, How does the polter work, Dawn? I mean, I'm not expecting to be an expert on it, but just can you give me a little more? You've mentioned this to me before. I think we might have even talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Just say a little bit more about it. It's a discussion-based model. And so I think polter is, you know, is, is, um, I'd have to look it up, but I think it's a Dutch word that means something like, you know, talking. Um, but is, or, that, is that how the government? I mean, I'm, what I'm asking is, is it? Yes, is, yeah. So oh, you're saying so there's a government structure. It's however it's structured, uh, and I'm not being dismissive. I'm saying I, we don't know it. But but in that, the way they get things done within their government is to use this way of interaction. Am I saying yeah. it right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So like it would be like if our Congress, um, you know, uh, uh, all sat down in the same room and and didn't pass a bill until everyone in that room agreed that the bill should pass. Oh my goodness. Dawn. Yes. Right. I mean, they all do sit down in the same room where they're supposed to and look how that plays out. Exactly. Okay. It has become an anti-Poulter model in, in which disagreement and holding out against everybody else's desires, wants, needs, opinions, is considered virtuous as opposed to uh, as opposed to agreeing, finding ways to work together. You know, that has become demonized and the anti-working together model has become, you know, a, a badge of strength in our government. And, you know, we see how well that's working out for us. So we'll, we'll leave this for another time, but I believe, and we may have mentioned this also on another podcast as well. I think the when the U.S. government, when the founding fathers, as they're called, of American uh, of the American system, were trying to decide on how the system would work, they had looked at a lot of different systems. The Iroquois had a matriarchal system, Ben Franklin liked yeah. it, but they also did talk about instead of a president, there would be a consensus group. And yes, was- they, rather than one president, there would be three people. Well, three white men at the time, of course, yeah. but that yeah, that they would have to. They would have to decide as in consensus, and, and, uh, and that's very, fascinating. Yeah, in patriarchal fashion, they decided no. Let's have that one guy. Yeah, who, yeah. Who do. But that's again for another top time and a deeper dive. Okay, yeah. so we've got so we've political got, examples of of this. The Iroquois Confederacy Grand Council still works in a consensus based. Um, so do the Haudenosaunee Confederation um, and probably a bunch of other Native American indigenous peoples, um, tribes and clans uh, that I don't uh, 
um, know off the top of my head, but uh, I'm pretty certain it's a fairly prevalent model of decision making in a lot of indigenous peoples groups. It's, um, it's certainly a model for in the, for native peoples. I, I can say that I know that in the um, Northeast in New York State and New England, where you're from, New York State, where I'm from, um, a lot of the Algonquin speaking tribes and the Iroquois nations, they there certainly is that model does appear. It comes out. Yeah, comes yeah. Out. And, you know, in in other countries as well, like the Zulu and Zosa process of Indaba is also consensus based decision making. Indonesian Musiyawara. Musiyawara. Okay. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation of that. Please excuse me. But it is the consensus building process in Indonesia. If you're listening um, in Indonesia, please. Yes, please. Email us um, and let us know. Yeah, I'm, I, I apologize for butchering your language. Uh, the Ringisho practice in Japanese business, again, same thing, consensus building, consensus decision making. Liberatum veto of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Same idea, consensus-based decision-making. In our own little country, um, the Anabaptists and some Mennonite groups, as well as the Religious Society of Friends, the Quakers, are all consensus-based societies. Uh, many women's liberation groups in the 60s and 70s consciously adopted consensus-based decision-making as a way to fight the patriarchy. Uh, the Anti-Nuclear Clamshell Alliance and Movement for a New Society, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, oh, that yeah. was so instrumental the in civil um, the civil rights movements. They were a consensus-based organization. Um, more recently, the Occupy Movement um, was a consensus-based decision-making organization. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of sort of counterculture societies have adopted in the United States have deliberately adopted consensus based decision making as a way to deconstruct the hierarchical patriarchy under which we live. Okay, so that's three. So our three concepts thus so that's far. That's three. Our gift giving, gift economy, egalitarian systems that are matrilineal, matro. Um, right. And then, and then lastly is spiritual or cultural, depending on how you want to define it. Let's try a different bell. There you that go. Works. Okay. So matriarchal societies, spiritually or culturally, tend to view the earth as a great and giving mother. Most importantly, and permeating everything, these societies honor principles of care love, and generosity, which they associate with motherhood. So the idea of the great mother, the loving mother, the goddess who is mother of all, they have a spiritual and cultural principles that honor not only a feminine divine, but those feminine principles down into their everyday lives. So the similar way that, you know, people have a bumper sticker that says, what would Jesus do? It's the same idea, except it's what would the great mother do? Right, right. No, it's, uh, you know, and I, I've often said on, on this, when we've talked about religion, uh, that because I'm practicing Catholic, uh, practicing Christian, that I, I see very matriarchal concepts in the actual discussion of Christianity, Christianity, the actual writings, the actual sayings of Jesus, as opposed to what became a various structures over the last 2000 years. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. A very patriarchal structure where, and very hierarchical, mm -hmm. um, where it's, you know, the bishops at the top and everybody else down in a, in a chain. Well, you know, you look at the, the whole idea of um, the Renaissance idea of the chain from God to the devil and that, uh, you know, where yeah. you were on the chain was a reflection of how worthwhile a person you were, how worthy a person you were. It's interesting, too. Even when they broke those structures down, they still recreated on a small scale that same kind of patriarchal pattern. It wasn't a consensus building. It was just one man 
in charge. And usually I'm saying a man because it's almost 99% of the time it was back then. Yeah. A man and his flock. It was still that one in a group. So even yeah. it was sort of like well, people and, broke things down for their own, you know, we, we yeah, they used, out of that way, that concept. Was, yeah, they used that hierarchical God as the head of the human family god is the head of the church the pope is the head of the church you know they they preached and encouraged that kind of top down one single dude at the head um you know by saying the father is the head of the family the way that you know the bishop is the head of the church so it's it was deliberate to mirror that um that structure um in in you know every social group all the way down to the smallest social group of the family yeah and i I was even saying even when you get rid of the bishops you still replaced it with one guy just we it's so ingrained in the western mindset now because our argument is that the original mindset was not like that right what became of it became and that's that's something for us to talk about on another podcast how that that shift that's a vicky conversation for sure yeah just yeah. where that shift occurs because you have thousands of years in old europe of this matriarchal this consensus building this peaceful this god-centered culture and then you you just get a rupture and we still live in the mindset where we can't picture it any other way. So right, right. Anyways, you're saying spiritually. So that's really. So this is really beautiful. So please say more about this spiritual. Yeah. So one of the things that um, that we talk about in and and this is going to be the first time I'm going public with this, but um, but one of the things that we talk about in Church of the Clitoris, which is a church. Dawn has come out to the listeners. I oh, have come out. Tell, please tell them what that is. I have founded a church. Um, and the Church of the Clitoris is a church that is based around the concept of the clitoris as the divine gift from the goddess. Because it is the only organ in any human body, no matter what your gender, that is entirely designed for pleasure. It has no purpose other than to give you pleasure. So they're going to kick you out of the town, Don. You're going to be are. I'm gonna out. driven out. Town fathers will be pointing at you in the road. <laughs> be gone. Be gone from our town. That's right. You you wicked, wicked wench. Get away. Stay away from our daughters, Dawn. Yes. But one of the things that we talk about in the Church of the Clitoris, which was, P.S., founded for the social, emotional, spiritual, sexual, uh, physical, and social health of women. So we're putting women's health at the center, um, which includes pleasure, which includes pleasure, because when you're healthy, you can feel pleasure. Can you um, tell them, uh, are you interested in having any? I mean, I, again, I don't want to, this is your. Yeah, this is a side, a side discussion but, here. But I wanted to know whether, because listeners are going to hear this, and they may be interested in practicing with you. Do you, because I believe you practice uh, virtually, correct? Yes, yes. We, so Ken, do you want to, is there a way they could reach to you to ask you more about this if they'd like to be part of your Sure, they can reach out to me through info at 34circe.com. And I would be happy to talk about the Church of the Clitoris. We're still, we're still in our infancy, um, but, uh, but I am, you know, mindfully and consensus-based growth um, is hopefully in our future. Okay. So, so one of the things we talk about in, in Church of the Clitoris that sort of comes up at random times is this idea and how revolutionary and startling it is to think of females' bodies as living representatives of the divine, right? If we always picture God as male, if God is... Tatanka, the great grandfather in the sky, right, is is um, is the all father. Then males, people who identify as male, walking around in human bodies, are closer to God than women are, right? Because they were made in His image. 
Whereas if it's a divine female, then our bodies are human echoes of the divine. And for women who are brought up in a male-centered spiritual community or religious community, that is, it's kind of mind-blowing. Because we've always been the other. Our bodies are always the other. As my friend Erin Merritt talks about, she says, you know, the Renaissance concept of women's bodies being leaky vessels. Like we, we were constantly leaking fluid. We would, our, our eyes would leak tears. Our, our, our bodies menstruate, so we're leaking blood. You know, when we're pregnant, we're leaking fluid all the time. I mean, it's just we can't stop leaking from these imperfect bodies. And well, so this idea, yeah, remember? and the idea of the male body being the perfect you know, the divine, the perfect um, example is the David, you know, like that is the perfect human body. Mm -hmm. And women are just not included in that. We don't get to go to that party, right? It's a, it's weird too, for me. I mean, there's a whole other historical undercurrent there, but it's weird too, for me, because the, Particularly for, uh, I mean, the men I know, but also I think for a lot of people, there's there's that great power in the female, of the, that of femininity, of that kind of feminine beauty, that kind of feminine draw. And it has been there and we see it dominating the currents of history throughout. But it's like this layer is put on top of it as if to say, okay, yeah, maybe there was all this energy going towards this femininity, you know, uh, almost like a Shakti concept, right? So we've got all this this sort of like energy emanating out in a in a feminine principle, but we're gonna we're gonna see if we can tamp that down and just kind of present this notion that no, this is really what perfection is, which is when really we're all male and female part of the divine. So yes, yes, exactly, exactly. All of our bodies are. I want to say we are going a little bit over. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Okay. we can just kind of wrap up and then we'll pick up because yeah. we can talk about, because I, I want to talk about feminine. We haven't done um, a, um, in, we didn't, we have an appraising the goddess coming up, but we haven't done a feminine divine recently. So I think you and I really need to do that and maybe yeah. talk about this in more detail. And we have some more ancient history episodes, the misogyny Absolutely. of the ancient world. So we can right. bring this up. Let's, so we'll follow these patterns there. But these four, this is really wonderful. And I, I think I told you in the beginning that, well, I've been telling you for, for, for months, years at this point, um, that getting, conveying this concept, under, putting this concept into a form has been somewhat difficult. And I'm sure just being a guy in this culture is part of it. But these four principles that you point out are great foundations for, yes. I think, even action, real life action, you know. And for me, the consensus is really what I want to see put into action and the spirituality is what I want to see really spread more. So that's just yeah. my, my pitch. Yeah. So, yeah. So when people, when we talk about like, how do we make matriarchy happen? How do we bring back this ancient way of life that, you know, we've taken this 5,000 year detour into patriarchy and it's just not working. It just, it just doesn't work for everybody. It's, it works for very few. Um, so how do we, how do we great again is what you're saying? Exactly. So how, do, how do we make matriarchy great again? These four ideas, these four principles, markers, as Heidegger Abendroth calls them, these four markers are great ways to start with that. It breaks it down. It makes it into a, a sort of logical arrangement. And you can take these principles and you can start to riff on them and you can start to build on them. And in that way, we can bring these matriarchal principles back, back into our societies, back into our politics, back into our spirituality, back into our cultural and social systems, so that we can all benefit from a system that was a lot kinder on humanity than patriarchy is. Well said, well said. With that, 
I want to give a big round of applause to Don Sam Alden. <laughs> beautifully well, done, beautifully done. Thank uh, you, thank you, and I hope it. Um, I hope it clarifies for our listeners. Um, you know, kind of the overarching uh, direction that we're going with this podcast. Yes, yes, and uh, and and for those of you listening, of course, uh, we have lots more planned, a lot more great stuff coming up. And uh, some of the ancient world, some on the modern world. Uh, we'll have our old pal Vicky back. Uh, we're going to be talking to some more scholars about different aspects of uh, matriarchy, women warriors, women leaders. We're going to have a continuation of our discussion on the ancient world and misogyny that we have inherited from it. And of course, there'll be stuff on the feminine divine mm-hmm. and then praise of the goddess. So I want to so- thank you for listening. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And a quick reminder, if you've gotten this far, <laughs> to uh, yes. to rate and uh, comment on the podcast on whatever platform you listen, um, because it really does help our uh, us sort of pop up in front of the eyes of more people. And uh, we can get this message out of how wonderful matriarchy is to more and more people. All right. Thank you all. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and that is... I am Don Sam Alden. And this has been Make Matriarchy Great Again, the 34 Circe Salon. Thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Take care. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.